now we are ready to get going back into Deuteronomy. Uh, before we do that, I do want to talk a little bit about technology. Uh, do you guys remember uh, Google Glass? It was a product. Okay, it, came, it was like 12 years ago. I watched, it's a, YouTube's great at like giving you recommendations that you didn't know you wanted to watch, but then you watch them and you're like, that was good. I watched this like two minute, like, um, what do they call it? Like a, a vision video of like what Google Glass could be. And it's like a first person video of someone wearing them. They like look at the weather and they like see it's supposed to be 63 and sunny today. And then they like get a text message. Um, there were glasses that you wore that essentially had all the technology of your phone uh, or like your Apple watch or something like right there on your face, right? So you could answer calls, you could, you could send text messages, you could pick up your voice, you know? So send back, yeah, meet you there at 3 p.m. Um, you can get up directions or whatever. Um, it felt like the future when it came out, you know, like, like Star Trek in real life, and yet it never took off. I was reading a couple articles about why did this awesome piece of technology just flop, right? Like, I don't even know if you can buy Google Glass anywhere. Um, yeah, the price was too high or whatever. Uh, most people said it just wasn't cool enough. You know, it looked dorky, and like, no one really had a need for wearing your phone on your face. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I already, have, I already have it at my fingertips. I don't need it at my eyelids. <laughs> you know, like there wasn't an overarching purpose that it was solving in order to have glasses wearing your technology, right? As opposed to just, well, let's keep a pocket computer in our pockets whenever we need it. I think sometimes, uh, like, okay, I'm not talking about t- technology today. I'm talking about us trying to follow Jesus as the church, right? I think sometimes uh, I lack seeing that purpose, that vision that I can step into when I'm participating in God's community. Now, I don't, I don't mean, I don't know if you're like me, I don't mean like I don't understand what we're doing here. You know, like, I get it. We're supposed to live God's love beyond ourselves, right? So that all of Castle Rock can know God's love and, and whatever the, uh, the equivalent of that would be for all of God's church. I think we understand the purpose and the mission, but maybe you're like me. Sometimes I feel like church or participating in the church, being a part of the body is more like uh, taking a shower or eating breakfast. We're very important and it serves a very specific purpose in our life. But sometimes, you know, when life gets busy, you kind of well, let's skip that for today, right? You know, and, and move on to other things. You know, see my shower, my breakfast, sometimes those can be the best part of my day. Depends on the breakfast, depends on how dirty and exhausted I am, you know, and you just, ah, oh, a nice shower. But generally, I'm not waking up looking forward to my shower and breakfast. Those are, those are supporting roles, right, in my life to help me get to the things that I, I really come alive to, right? Whether it's my profession, my family, friends, hobbies, what, you know, whatever the thing is, that I see this vision of myself that I want to participate in, uh, the shower and the breakfast aren't really how I'm going to become changed <laughs> as who I am because a part of them. I think sometimes I fall into that thinking with church. Or it's like it's a support role in my life. Sure, it has its own purpose and it's very beneficial when I participate in it, but it's not, it's not the thing I get up for. You know, it's, it's, yeah, sometimes it's fantastic, don't get me wrong, but in general, it more helps me do the things that I, I feel I do have purpose, right? Or that are transformative or I can see that vision of who I'm going to be and how I'm going to be transformed. I think God has a bigger vision for church than that. You know, he, we're, we're going to see today as we go through the last six commands of the Ten Commandments, all about how God wants his people to interact with each other, what this community is supposed to look like and the purpose, the vision that he has that he's inviting us into. So it's not just a support role in our life, but rather it can be something that we can come alive to, that we can see this vision where we can participate and become something 
brand new. We're going to be reading uh, chapter 5 in Deuteronomy, just verses 16 through 22. Last, last week we did the first four commands. Uh, now we're doing the last six. I said last week the first four are generally talking about our relationship with God, kind of in a vertical relationship with us and God. These next six are more horizontal. It's how are we going to interact with each other as God's people, or more specifically, how are the Israelites as God's people, God's people supposed to be interacting with each other? Uh, we'll have these uh, verses up on the board, but it's Deuteronomy 5, 16 through 22. Let's start, starting with the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that, that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud, and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more than he wrote them on two stone, two stone tablets and gave them to me. This is Moses speaking. Those are the verses. Uh, those are the commandments that we have today. Here's my summary of them, and I'll leave them up uh, while I preach so we can kind of look at them. Uh, so it's honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie in court, and don't covet. Uh, we'll go through each one of these, and then I want to talk about as a whole, what does this mean? What is, what is the shape that God is trying to create his people into? Uh, first, honor your father and mother. Uh, just want to note, even in a patriarchal society, we've got both the father and mother deserving of respect. It's, it's those that come before you. It's the elderly that deserve the respect. It's not any sort of positional power um, that we're talking about here. Also, I made a point last week that most of the Ten Commandments are written toward the head of household. If you look at the, the Sabbath, uh, that was number four, the last one that we did. Uh, it's talking about uh, neither, neither your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in town. Uh, talking about someone who is the head of the household saying, you do Sabbath and do Sabbath for your whole family. Uh, the coveting command, that last one on 10, uh, also implying uh, you are the head of household, don't covet the other guy, the next head of household down the road, any of his stuff as well. With that being the case, uh, we also mentioned that the living conditions of the Israelites were multiple generations, uh, all living under one roof, uh, where you'd have your kids, you'd have your parents, perhaps your parents' parents, all living together under one roof. This command is not so much geared at the minors, the under-18s, saying make sure you honor and respect your parents, follow the rules until you get up, grow up, and you have your own house. Uh, this one is probably more intended for people like me that have small children, but their parents would be living with them. Hey, now that you're taking over the family estate, the family business, make sure you honor and respect your parents. You can't just push them aside. So uh, any of you that have gone into adulthood, you probably have learned that you do things differently than your parents did. Uh, and if your parents are close in proximity to you, you have more opportunities to be reminded that you do things differently than your parents did or would. So honoring your father and mother, especially if they're living under the same roof, is probably a conscious, active decision where you're saying, I will honor you. I will not push you aside and say, well, now I'm in charge around here. You get out of my hair or I'll put you out of the house because I'm doing things my way. Nope, they're going to be a part of this. You're not going to push them aside. We're going to keep the family together. 
uh, one thing in that third, uh, second commandment about idolatry. You know, we said, I'll punish you uh, to the third and fourth generation. I said, uh, perhaps and probably is an allusion to that entire family of the three or four generations living under the same household. God wanting to keep that holy and pure. Here's another one here in five. Want to keep everyone living together. Your closest relationships, let's do that well. Let's do that well. The, the, the sixth one, uh, do not murder. Uh, this one is a principle all throughout the Bible, literally from page one, or perhaps I think in these Bibles, it might be on the back of page one. It might be page two, but it says uh, that uh, first chapter of Genesis, God created male and female in his image. When he created humanity, he puts his fingerprint, his stamp on every human. So if you take the life of another human, you're taking the life of a deputy of God. And so now you've got to answer to God for the life that you have taken. He said to Noah in, in Genesis chapter 9 that anyone who takes the life, anyone who murders someone else, their life will be uh, asked of them. There's a, there's a death penalty on killing because it is important that humans have life. Uh, there are certain laws uh, later on in Deuteronomy where you can see uh, valid killing, whether it's for capital punishment or whether it's for war, but those are going to be the exceptions, not the rule. We start with saying you can't kill, and then if you say I'm justified in killing, you've got to prove your point before God. All right, the next one, don't commit adultery. Uh, straightforward, don't sleep with someone else's spouse. Uh, when you look at it, again, it's protecting that family. Uh, that says, let's make sure that the people living together, we are going to be tight and we are going to have holiness and righteousness for us of our closest relationships. Um, there's a lot of sexual laws in the Old Testament law. Um, I'm thinking more of Leviticus than Deuteronomy, but what it shows is that God values a disciplined sexual ethic to maintain integrity of these family units and then of the whole society. The next one, don't steal. Uh, some early interpretations, Jewish interpretations, uh, uh, interpret this as a, a don't kidnap, uh, partly because uh, all these other crimes are capital punishments, whereas in Deuteronomy, theft isn't, um, unless you steal a person. Um, that one's a capital crime. Uh, I don't believe that's the right uh, translation. I believe it is saying just don't steal. In general, theft, you know, you know protect other people's property. Um, either way, no matter uh, how you interpret it, though, you'd have to say this includes theft, you know, or, or includes prohibiting theft. And then we have to extend it further. I think this goes, uh, John Calvin, he's one of the, the thinkers of the Reformation. Uh, he said, this command also would include any time that you're acting for your own benefit at someone else's cost, right? So you are, you are advancing yourself without thought for um, or without kind of looking at the person that you're squashing in the process. Now this one, if that's how we want to interpret it, uh, start, starts gathering a lot of us and a lot of Americans, right? As we uh, chase wealth or we chase our own leisure or in our own pursuits, and yet it's at someone else's cost. Um, it's possible that we're breaking this one more than we think. All right, don't lie in court. I added that in court. It says false testimony, uh, but the word testimony, it's not just talking about our own personal private lives and being honest and not telling lies. I think that one's included here as well. So before you're like, oh, Brad said it's okay to lie. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I think the emphasis here is, is on justice in court. And so it's saying don't pervert justice, right? Don't lie in order to get someone else off the hook that's actually guilty. Or don't lie to have someone be guilty who's actually innocent. No, we want to have justice here. If you look at the Hebrew, 
the, the same root word here for that false word for false testimony is the same as in vain for the, the third command, the, taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, it's the same root word that has this meaning of like emptiness. As we talked last week, don't take the Lord's name in vain, meaning don't use his name emptily, right? Like worthlessly, like we're just throwing it out there. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. It's like, well, no, like if you're going to talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus. That's an actual name that means something to us. Same thing, don't give false testimony. Don't give empty testimony, right? You're called to the court to the stand. Did you see, you know, Dave breaking the Sabbath? You're like, oh, well, you know, I didn't really, I, uh, you know, I was hanging out with Dave on uh, the day before the Sabbath and things were all fine. It was, it's like him and in Han, you're not saying a thing. Like, yes or no, let there be justice, let there be truth. I think what this command is getting at is not just overt lying, but anytime you're trying to hide the truth or hide justice, you're trying to fool people or you're trying to withhold information. Well, they never asked me. You know, I think this one's getting more deeper and to make sure that you are bringing justice to the courtroom, especially with your testimony. And then lastly, don't covet. Uh, this one's the big one, right? So all the other commands, uh, it's easy. To, you can tell if someone's breaking them. This one is, is looking inside to the motivations, you know, some people have said, uh, if you're going to break any of the other nine, you're also breaking the 10th because that one had to be broken first before you could act on whatever the thing was uh, that you ended up doing. So these are your 10 commandments, or at least the last six, uh, the four from previous, and then these six that talk about how we're supposed to re- uh, interact with each other. I think for the most part, uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, I think we agree with these. Nothing here is controversial. There's nothing even today in our culture that we would say, well, that one clearly doesn't belong. We're like, yeah, that sounds good. Yep, I think, I think we should all do this. These sound good. And here's the thing. Even back then, the nations around them had codes. You know, you can uh, discover in archaeological digs, you know, various codes uh, that ancient people lived by. It's very similar. You know, like they would agree with all of these things too. There would be punishments if you broke any of these, perhaps except with the coveting. And so the question is, well, what's so great about these Ten Commandments? Remember, I said, if we read back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, God wanted a people that could be on display to the nation so that everyone could see what it looked like for a nation to be so close to God. It, their wisdom, their understanding that they would follow these laws and they would, wow, unbelievable. What's so unbelievable about these Ten Commandments? These seem pretty common sense. Right? If you want to live well, like, okay, let's not steal. That'll get you in trouble. You know, don't murder. That feels wrong. Like, like we, all, we all understand that even today. I think there's two things that stand out, especially from the other nations around them. First of all, uh, it's not directly here in the Ten Commandments, but it's in the punishments that you read further on in Deuteronomy. For each one of these commandments, uh, it's mainly a capital crime. Theft is one and coveting is the other one. Um, that's not capital crime. But all the other ones are punishable by death and there's no way out. So, so other, other nations would have a way where you could pay a fee, right? If, you, if you're a really important person, let's say a king, and you accidentally kill someone, uh, perhaps a rival, um, you wouldn't have to pay with your life. You could just pay a fee, and then you're, you're not guilty, and you can go your own way, right? You know, you, you make some sort of false statement in court, and you accidentally get your uh, business rival, you know, in jail, like, eh, no problem. Here, I'll just pay a little money, and then I'll be, I'll be okay, Right? <laughs> that doesn't sound familiar, right? I mean, as just as our society is, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, there, there is privilege involved, right? In the administration of justice in every society, but not so here, not in Israel. Everyone would be equal, and these, these laws are going to be universal. 
We're all under this, and we're all going to follow this. There is no weaseling your way out because you've got more power, because you've got more status, and those that don't have power or status are protected. They're going to have the exact same standard that they're set to. That's one of the ways that it stands out. The second way is that last command, that doozy, don't covet. Seriously, if we're on Sesame Street and we're playing which one is not like the others, it's don't covet, right? Like, for example, right? Did Dave break the Sabbath? I don't know. I saw him working on Sabbath. All right, you're guilty, right? Did, did Joe, uh, does he have an idol, right? You know, if we're going back to, to command number two, it's like, well, yeah, there it is. It's in his living room. Like, all right, well, you're, you're out, right? Did you kill a person? Like, okay, yeah, you, you killed a person. You're out, right? Did, did, did you steal, you know, Sally's handbag? Or, oh, no, I didn't, you know? And then, uh, well, no, there's her handbag. It's right there. You stole it. All right, you're, you're guilty. You know, oh, you lied about it in court. You're guilty, all right, but did you, did you covet your neighbor's ox? Maybe, I don't know. You know, it's like, this one's completely unenforceable. You, you, you know, you realize it's like the Ten Commandments, very enforceable, at least the first nine, right? It's clear, I did this or I didn't do this. Other people know it. Other people can see it. You can prosecute someone. You can take them to court for it. You can prove that they're guilty or that they're innocent. Tenth one, no one knows your heart. No one knows, just you. And even then, you can probably fool yourself right? Whether or not you're actually coveting. This 10th one is an absolute doozy of a commandment because it transforms all the other commandments, right? Last week I said the commandments are more vows, you know, like wedding vows that are almost poetic in in establishing kind of this, more this attitude, this posture of a relationship toward God. Uh, If we want to carry that over to these last six, we'd say these are almost wedding vows you're making to each other, (laughs) your neighbors, that, 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 describe this relationship that you have, that's only there because of that 10th commandment. Because if you don't have that 10th commandment, it's just laws. It's just rules. All right, cool. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll look good. I'll play the part. But the 10th commandment transforms it from just this private, personal morality into, no, I actually want you to be that kind of a person. <laughs> you know, all the way. I mean, we're, 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 not, we're not looking at surface level. God's not interested in just creating an ordered society. He wants people that live like this, right? He wants to create a people that don't need rules to do these things, that are just doing these things because that's who they are. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, that's his main emphasis, right? He doesn't toss out the Ten Commandments. I said that last week. You know, he even quotes, uh, you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. But the you shall not murder, well, that also includes hating. That includes cursing someone else, right? It's, it's these, these deeper motivations of the heart that are nowhere close to murder, right? We would never say like, well, you're murdering that guy. It's like, no, I just don't like him. It's like Jesus is saying, no, look, it's the same thing because I'm looking right to your heart. Same thing with adultery where he says, if you even look lustfully at someone else, you better take it just as seriously as if you're breaking the command to not commit adultery, right? He's saying, no, 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 I don't, I'm not interested in just making people that look good play the part or that are a well-ordered society where, where people can look from the outside and be like, wow, what a well-governed people. He said, no, 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 I actually want the people to be this way. That's the goal. It's like this. Uh, Sherry and I are potty training. Um, or we're not. Uh, we're, potty training, <laughs> we're potty training Oakley, our, our two-and-a-half-year-old. It's much more normal. Um, but, <laughs> but we... Um, like any good parent or bad parent, you get to judge on your own, uh, but God says you'll be judged by that standard which you judge, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Um, but we, we incentivize, uh, you know, being able to uh, accomplish what we want him to be able to accomplish, which is keeping his underwear dry. 
Uh, if he's able to do that, we have a little bucket of candy, uh, which has stuck around since Easter. We've got very generous grandparents. Um, and he loves going through and picking out one small candy that he gets to have. Now, here's the funny part. Uh, so <laughs> there's a whole bunch of like empty plastic shells and a bunch of candies at the bottom. And I'm always like, all right, how about this one? No, how about this one? No, how about this one? Because here's the thing. They're all the same candy. It's those um, like small, unbranded, you know, shiny pastel wrapper eggs, you know, that are like chocolate, but they're like not actually chocolate, you know? <laughs> you know? You know what I'm saying, right? And it's funny because my two and a half year old who would eat candy at any chance he gets will refuse to eat those. Those aren't worth it, dad. Like, like I know, they're, they're just all right there. You know, I'm like, there's nothing left. You know, I'm like, well, do you want this one? This one? He's like, no, dad, no, dad, no, dad. I don't want those. Even he knows that my parents are cheap and they went to Walmart and they just lo- loaded up all these just so that they could have candy in every single one of these eggs that I found on, on the Easter egg hunt, right? Three months ago. But you take one taste of one of those eggs and you're like, dude, this isn't chocolate. You know, like it's, it's like overly sugary. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the, the wrapping looks nice. It's shiny, pastel. We've got greens and, and yellows and pinks and blues and purples. I mean, they look good. Fun to unwrap. That first touch on your lips, you're like, mm. And then you're like, I think this might be some sort of like fat derivative. That's just the mass with sugar. You know, it's like, it's not, like if you want chocolate, like in a pinch, you're like, oh, I need chocolate. Like these won't do. These, you'll be like, mm, nah. You know, like I've thrown them out. You know, you're like, ah, I can't. I can't do it, right? And so there they sit. Not even my two and a half year old will eat it. Like, look, well, no, no offense on Walmart. Like, I, I don't know. I probably shouldn't have said their name. They're, uh, I mean, they've got a purpose. They, they probably do some things well. It's, it's, it's not chocolate, though. <laughs> you know? I, I feel like God does not want to create fake, small, unbranded chocolates of a people. Right? That look good on the outside. Yeah, go ahead. Buy them. Try them. But the one taste that someone has of it, and they say, nope, never again. They say, that won't do. I'm not even sure what that is. He wants to make the real thing. You know, the, the real tasty chocolate, right? The, the fine chocolate, right? Where you taste it and you say, ooh, hold on. I haven't tasted this anywhere. I don't know how you did it, but I need more, right? That's the kind of people that God is creating. Not people that just look good on the outside or they're just following rules. No, the people that are the real thing, that this, this is good. You, you want this. You want to participate this. That's, that's the kind of people that God, God's creating with these commandments. So I want, to, I want us to look at it. Uh, from a little bit of a different perspective. I think when we come to the Ten Commandments, it's very easy to see, uh, okay, these are for personal, private morality, right? Like it, it's, and it's a great starting point, you know, if, you, if you're like raising kids like I am, to say, read the Ten Commandments, this is what good is, right? Just follow these things. There's eight don'ts and two do's. Do the do's, don't do the don'ts, and, and you'll be good. Uh, but it's not meant to be this personal, private morality, like God wasn't, uh, you, you, can, you can apply them to yourself, you can follow them yourself, uh, there's, there's punishments that go to yourself, but God had in mind something much bigger. He was creating a people, right? Like even when we talked about covenant, and I'm going back like three weeks now, I don't know if you guys remember my sermons like I remember my sermons. I probably spend more time on them than you guys do, but, <laughs> uh, but covenant, God covenants with people. He chooses to partner with people, not just individuals. So God wasn't concerned with making a bunch of individuals that look good, right? Individually wrapped candies, you know, that look fine. No, no, no. I want to make a people that is this, right? And so you look at these commandments, don't see them as this is what you have to do, or this is what God's standards are for you to do. This is describing the community, us, the church. This is what we're supposed to look like. You know, some people have said, 
uh, like if the book of Deuteronomy was the Constitution, you know, laying the foundation for this nation going forward, the Ten Commandments would be like the Bill of Rights. You know, for, for our Constitution in America, the Bill of Rights are those first ten amendments uh, that have uh, really an incredible kind of uh, historically significant uh, rights for what, what citizens have in their, within their government. Uh, if these are the Bill of Rights, though, it's funny, the rights are not my rights, the rights are my neighbor's rights. You know, if you look at it, right? So your parents have the right to respect and the right to honor. Your neighbors have the right to their life. Your neighbors have the right to a secure marriage. Your neighbors have a right to their property. Your neighbors have a right to justice. And your neighbors have a right to not live in fear and to have security living next to you. What these commandments are stating is how others must be treated. And if it's being uh, given to the head of household, which is just in these examples that you can see, all right, you have power, you have privilege, you have authority, you have a position within society. Others do not. You make sure that their rights are protected. That's what these commandments are saying. And, and, and as a whole, we will create a people that reflect who our God is. God's people reflect his justice and his love. If you look at these six commandments especially, you can see God's justice and his love being the threads that tie these all together. Justice, absolutely in the ninth command, where I said the emphasis here on lying is, is in a judicial context, where, where you don't hide, you don't obfuscate the truth. I think I used that right. I think that means to kind of make things more difficult. <laughs> I got one nod. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, we, we want there to be justice because God is just. All of these are going to apply to all people. Why? Because God is just. If we go back to the fourth commandment, this is one we touched last week, the Sabbath. I said it had a, a vertical and a horizontal aspect. I got a flight controller, right? No, what's that called? Yeah, no, I don't know. We talked about the vertical relationship of the fourth commandment, but if you go back, the back half, I didn't touch this, is all about a horizontal aspect, right? If you're the head of household, you get to take a Sabbath. Oh yeah, and every single other person within your household, including down to the slaves and the animals themselves. Why? Because there's justice. You don't have privilege. Everyone has the right to rest. You know, there's justice. Here, I'll go back to the, the list. It's not stealing, not committing adultery, not murder. Yeah, you have the right to have things, to have a life, to have a secure marriage. And then love. You know, especially when Jesus comes, he shows it's not just abstaining from these things, like abstaining from murder, abstaining from adultery, abstaining from theft. You know, it's actually loving your neighbor is the heart of what God is trying to create. It's not simply that we all just don't talk to each other and therefore we'll never break a commandment, but rather we're meant to care about each other. Um, I don't know if you guys are doing the reading plan, reading through Deuteronomy, but you're getting to the good stuff where there's a ton of laws uh, that perhaps feel a little bit out of touch. Laws you'll, comp you'll consistently find are ones that uh, preserve the justice of those that aren't privileged or, or those that, you know, the foreigners or the widows, you know, the, the people who don't have the, the money or the means. And they also have these where you seem to be responsible for other people's things, right? So like if someone's ox falls into a ditch, you're obligated to help it out, right? Like you actually have to think of other people's things as yours. What that, that's love, right? Think of others as yourself. You know, I mean, I could pull a bunch of passages from the New Testament that all talk about God's love, and we love reading about those, right? But, but it's right here. It's right here in the Ten Commandments. We were called to reflect God's love all the way from the start. God's people were always meant to reflect his justice and his love. All right, the application is simple. 
we're supposed to do that too, right? Uh, but but what, is that, what does that look like? Uh, we've got a, a question at the end. You know, we have discussion groups. How can we act toward the justice and love of others within our society around us? Uh, but here's some ideas that maybe, maybe might spark some thoughts for you guys. Justice, uh, for one, you've got to be honest. You, you've got to just say it. If you're hiding something for your own benefit or at someone else's cost, yeah, you, don't do it. Don't do it. You've got to allow truth to be revealed. And be honest. Uh, well, well, no one's asking me, right? Like, oh, oh, no, no one wants to know. No one needs to know, so I'll just keep it. No, no, you know what? That's not just. If something has happened or if there's something there, let's, let's bring it to light. That would be an action toward justice. Uh, we already talked about uh, advancing your own gain at someone else's expense. Maybe taking a look at our habits or even how we're uh, lining up our time, how we're even spending our day, how we're spending our money. Are we doing things only concerned about us and not concerned about perhaps the effects that it might have on other people? That could be another area that you, w- you would want to apply justice in. Uh, it's definitely standing up for people, advocating for people that perhaps are being taken advantage of uh, or that need someone to stand up for. Uh, the list could go on and on and on. Um, that's why we'll, get, we'll take some time to do it ourselves. Uh, and then love. What does it look like to act in love in society? I feel like we ask this question a lot because it's kind of the core of our mission. We want to live God's love beyond ourselves. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> you know? All right, well, let's talk about it. I think it means, at least at a minimum, is taking time for other people. You know, listening to them, being a part of their story. Uh, here, here's something. We all live busy lives. That seems to be... Uh, uh, common denominator here in Douglas County, right? Well, taking a little bit of, from your busy life so that you can't use it in the way you want and give it to someone else strictly for their benefit. You won't gain from it, but they might. In fact, you, your goal is that they would gain from it. That's love. That's love where you value their time, their benefit more than you value your own. Uh, most of us love other people when it's convenient to us or uh, when we have time involved, uh, but can you take your time and give it to someone else. That's love. Those are just a few thoughts. And I mentioned it last week, the, the Ten Commandments are here to stay. Uh, these are not old, dusty commandments that, wow, yeah, that was probably cool to get, you know, if I was there on the mountain and had the stone tablets. They're very much present. Jesus talked about them all the time. And in fact, someone tried to ask him one time, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, which sounds an awful lot like the first four commandments, right? Where I said, I said last week, the first four commandments are don't think less of God. The positive way of saying that is love God with everything that you have, right? And he said the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, which, wow, that sounds like a pretty darn good summary for those last six commandments. What Jesus is essentially saying, what is the greatest commandment? It's like, well, it's the same thing that I've been telling you this whole time. <laughs> right? But, but I want to get to the core. It's not simply following the list. It's not making sure that you're justified in your own private morality. No, it's that you would be this kind of person. Someone else asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And they listed, I think, four or five of them off. He says, you know, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. The man said, all these I've kept since I was a boy. But Jesus knew that he was only looking at it from a surface level in order to look good for everyone. He said, no, 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 I'm actually trying to get to the heart. I want you to operate in the world toward the justice and love of God. And so he said, you, you lack one thing. Sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Then you'll have eternal life. Then come follow me. 
He brought it all the way down to the court. No, no, no. You've just maintained this morality. I want you to be the kind of person that operates toward justice and love within the world. I want you to get to the core of what I meant by the Ten Commandments, not simply following them and being like, well, at least I've never killed anyone. Yeah, but are you operating toward the justice and the love of those around us? May that be our goal and our drive in our families, the people we live closest to, here at our church, beyond church, and then out to the world, that we might show the world a real community that actually tastes good. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for these Ten Commandments. Thank you for how you've revealed yourself through them. Um, thank you that they don't change. Thank you that, that, that we don't have to uh, seek you and understand, okay, well, if times have changed, Lord, how, how then are we supposed to live? Um, you care about things. You are unchanging. Uh, and you're worthy to serve. We can worship and serve the same God that they were worshiping, you know, three, 4,000 years ago. Lord, I pray that you would help us see how we can work toward your justice, toward love in the community around us. Show us those opportunities uh, where we can say, yes, Lord, I, I look to you more than I look to myself. Show us how we can fulfill not just the letter of these laws, but the full intent uh, to, be, to be that real chocolate God. Um, I pray that our community here at Beyond Church uh, would be very tasty, <laughs> that when people taste it, they can taste some of you, God, um, that it would not be a cheap imitation. Um, I pray that you would uh, convict us then on, the, on those, those areas that we're taking shortcuts, the, the ways where we're not wanting to, to participate or we're not uh, wanting to, to move toward your justice and love, even here within this room, God. Uh, may you fill us and may you bind us together. May we represent you well to the world. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. So we have the Ten Commandments from God, which provide this really high standard. He's not just looking at outward morality, but he's looking at our hearts where we need to be transformed people in order to fulfill what God's design is for us. Uh, you can read the rest of the Bible story, but God knows uh, we're not going to be able to do it. Uh, not on our own. Uh, that's why Jesus came to the earth in order that he might teach us, show us, help us understand what God's design is for us, what standard he has set for us in order to partner with him so that the world can see who he is, and then ultimately to cover our weakness. Because invariably, uh, we don't follow these Ten Commandments. This isn't who we are. Uh, rather be ourselves. <laughs> We'd rather go our own way. Not that, not that we necessarily think these are bad, but we just, ah, I'd rather do this. I'd rather do that. And so we have these little stains on us, right? You know, it's like a brand new suit that got, ah, yeah, that's when I dropped a french fry on it. You know, it's just a little bit stained. You know, and a little stained here, a little stained here. The Bible calls that sin, right? It's the imperfections where it's, man, we're close. We want to do what God wants, but man, we also would rather do our own thing. We're not, we're not there. We don't meet God's standard. His standard is high for the Ten Commandments, and we fall short. And so when Jesus came, he said, well, here, you're under the death penalty. You've broken God's commands. You've broken God's laws. I'll pay that penalty for you. Here, I'll die for you. He resurrects, and he says, here's my life. Here's my suit. It fits you, and now you be pure. Now you meet God's standards. Now you go forth as God's people, fulfilling his covenant so that the world can know who God is. Be this people that God wants. We celebrate this morning communion once a month where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made and this process where we can be transformed into the people that fulfill what God's standards are for us. It happens only through our faith in Jesus.
and through the empowerment of his Holy Spirit, which then transforms us to be the kind of people that follow God's design and follow God's laws. Now, we're gonna celebrate that this morning. And I just ask, as, as we're taking time, we'll all grab it together, we'll go back to our seats. As we're thinking about this, um, think about the standard that God has for our entire community. Ask for forgiveness for the areas where we've fallen short and ask that he would give us that new life. Thank him for what he has done for purifying us. Uh, we'll all take uh, a row down in the center, so kind of come down here, grab the, the bread and the juice, and then we'll go back to our seats around the outside. Once everyone has it, I'll come back up, and then we'll all take it together um, with me up front and you guys down in your seats. So let's go ahead and do that. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant, which is in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you bow your head and heart with me? Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your standards for us. And we thank you that you don't compromise those standards, but you make a way that we might be able to fulfill those standards. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that you come alongside us, you continue to teach us and mold us, and we want to yield to you, God. We want to yield to your spirit. Fill us up, mold us, shape us, and form us to be the people that you've designed so that we might fulfill that purpose that we have and the purpose that you have for us in the world. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Uh, we've got some discussion questions as well, as we usually do, or as I alluded to even in the sermon. And so I want to go through those uh, for you guys. We'll take, I don't know, maybe five minutes. Uh, you pick your favorite one and talk about it. Uh, we'll gather in groups around the tables. Uh, first, uh, church has what purposes for you? So I kind of started off by saying sometimes we don't see a big purpose, but there could be a lot of purposes, practical purposes that we have. Just share. Uh, what's that significance to you? Uh, number two, what rules could you make for the church today based on the Ten Commandments? So if you wanted to contextualize, particularly for our church, uh, what rules would you add or what kind of clarifications would you make uh, for today's audience? And then lastly, how can you act in justice and love for others? The big application point, what does this look like in your life? Feel free to give very specific examples that we might be inspired by each other and come to maybe understand how we might be able to step forward in this. So go ahead and take five minutes, uh, discuss at your tables, and I'll come up and I'll dismiss you.